Hey, this is a fun week because this week we get to talk about what the worst movie is of the year. I have my choice and I bet you have your choice too. Well, we're going to hit the ground running this week. Welcome to Streamed and Screened from Lee Enterprises podcast, all about movies and TV shows that are coming out. And uh, the voice that you just heard, very excited to give a an absolute thrashing to an upcoming film, is Bruce Miller, longtime entertainment reporter and currently the editor of the Sioux City Journal. Also on the call, we have Jared McNett, a film buff and reporter for the Sioux City Journal, a podcaster in his own right. For a man of letters. A man of letters. Bon Some vivant. A, uh, a real rock on tour. An Iowa State fair goer. Yes. Potato appreciator. <laughs> yes. All, all true. All true. All served. Also, me, uh, I'm Chris Lay. I'm the podcast operations manager for Lee Enterprises. And uh, yeah, we're here for the good times. What did you guys see over the weekend? The worst movie of the year. The worst movie of the year. We got Bruce checking in on that. Tell us about the worst movie of the year, Bruce. It has got to be Mac and Rita. It has to be. <laughs> this is like so bad on so many levels. It's basically a Freaky Friday kind of concept where uh, a younger woman turns into Diane Keaton, for lack of a better reference. And she has to try and deal with life as the 30-year-old insider body with a 70-year-old body to work with. Okay, well, you think, well, maybe there's something here that they could do. But in the process, it just badmouths everything. 70-year-olds are basically around just to drink and complain about the 30-year-olds. There's nothing there that's redeeming. And then when she tries to play a 30-year-old, they're all influencers. Since when has influencer become a career goal for anybody? It is not a career. It's only one step below podcaster. Gosh. It can't get any lower, can it? She really makes a big deal out of this fact that she could make $100,000 by going to a party. Now, I don't know of any influencer, even the Kardashians, who make $100,000 going to a party. And then there's this big old trauma where her lifelong 30-year-old friend who's getting married she has to make one of those Sophie's choices. Do I go to the wedding or do I go to the $100,000 opening? Well, come on. It doesn't take a genius to figure out you go to the $100,000 opening, but you tell the friend beforehand, I'm going to this thing to make a hundred thousand bucks. You'll get a better gift if I go. And then I'll show up after <laughs> I've done the thing. I mean, is this like not common sense? Do you not do that? I, it's stupid. And then to add insult to injury, Simon Rex is in this as this kind of <laughs> guru that gets her to go from 30 to 70. Plus which, because Diane Keaton is a producer, she probably didn't really bother about going to costume design and have them help her out because everything she wears looks exactly like what Diane Keaton wears in normal life. So it's lazy. <laughs> It's a lazy film that doesn't deserve to be here. It gets zero stars on my, my <laughs> list. And it is right now at the top of the list as the worst of the year. I was embarrassed because I took friends who were close to her age. And I, you know, I thought this will be fun because we're going to watch older people doing fun things, right? And they were appalled. None of us laughed. Not a single laugh out of this whole thing. Ooh. So you can tell that it was, a and it doesn't do 30-year-olds any good, and it doesn't do 70-year-olds any good. 
It's just a stupid film cashing in on Diane Keaton. Every time I've seen the poster for this movie, I think it's a fake movie because like Diane Keaton looks like she was just copied and pasted into the poster. Like it doesn't look like this was a, a poster they actually did a shoot for. They probably didn't because that would be another dollar that wouldn't go into somebody's pocket. <laughs> this could be a COVID scam and we never knew it. You know, somebody got that COVID money for doing something and here it is. Yeah, no, this this feels like a fake like movie that would have come up in a joke on 30 Rock or something. That is exactly it. That is exactly it. So there's my candidate for the worst movie of the year. Now, who else has one? Chris, I think, might have one, too, that I have a little bit of a bone to pick with. Chris, what's your worst film of the year? I only very recently saw it when it hit Peacock, but I think The Black Phone is the the worst movie I have seen in a very long while. And it made zero sense to me. Yeah, the I thought the child actors were awful, and the <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, I mean it's just a yeah, which I mean it's it's not on them, you know, it's on casting and it's on the directing and it's on all these other aspects. What I heard you said, Chris, was that the these kids can't act and they should be ashamed <laughs> of themselves. That's how I took that's how I took what you just said. <laughs> and if and they can't true. hack it, they're gonna have to you know really really get a stiffer upper lip because uh... <laughs> he might have to get a job as an influencer. Yep. Well, Jared, I think you were one who liked that film, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, no, I I, I did. I, I dug it uh, quite a bit, especially. Well, how did you feel about Ethan Hawke in it, Chris? Because that to me was a big positive selling point of the movie. I mean, sure. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess. Like, sure. It's oh, a, man. I mean, he's fine as as a guy who is seemingly in the movie more or less because he's close buddies with Jason Blum. But I don't know. It just felt like he was, didn't make any sense for him to be the guy. I mean, he's wearing that mask on his face the entire time. It's a cool mask. Uh, so was he phoning it in? Is that the case? Phoning it in. God, <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> this is, that's the end. We're done. We're hanging it up. We're hanging it up right now. You're hanging it up. You're hanging up the phone. God, God. Come on. What a horrible day. This is this is the worst. <laughs> this is just the absolute worst. But yeah, I just okay. did not did not like it. What was the, talk about the kids? I want to hear about bad kid actors because that's how I, I don't know. It was like they all were doing line readings. I mean, it was just a table read level delivery on, you know, for a lot of stuff. I do think that the worst acting of the, the kid acting comes when they're getting like the phone calls. That's when even I had some problems with the movie is like when they're having to interact with these kids through the phone calls. That really did kind of seem like it was just line reading. I won't disagree with you on that. Were they over the top? Like, were they like Disney kids would go, what? A phone call? Were they like that? Or were they? It was more flat. Okay. So they're trying yeah. to sound like they're disaffected kids of the 2020s. Yeah. And the so much of the the idea of like the the bully characters and the the guy who's you know standing up for the other kids like th there were just so many things that didn't to argue against any any horror movie any you know psychological mystery whatever type thing like this that dabbles in the afterlife and whatever else like it just it, it didn't there wasn't any logic to it there wasn't any any reason even within the internal mechanics of the movie it just didn't make any sense and yeah uh the whole ethan hawk um 
I don't know to, to speak about th there's another character that I, I don't want to anyway I did not like it at all <laughs> it was <laughs> I mean like I, I totally understand why people are, are going to see it but I mean yeah it just it it was it wasn't like offensive it was just bad like I just did not understand how so it, it was an accumulation of bad decisions in in my opinion every like fourth page of script maybe like got you know grabbed by the wind on like the shooting days or something i like i don't i don't know <laughs> it just didn't make any sense so that's my spin off, off to a really sour note today well i mean so... we don't honestly me specifically i mean and i mean i think bruce is maybe the most free with just taking things down a peg but i feel like i mean for me to be oh yeah really lambasting a film is is something else and I figured I that Jared, that you it. were going to have a take issue with it. I want to see it now because I like bad, bad films. I think that's kind of fun when it's when it doesn't catch you unsuspecting. You know, yep. I know going into some things, this is going to be real crap. I can just see it coming from a mile away. This did have a good poster. It did have kind of that creepiness that you saw in the trailers. It looked good. But I'm dying to see how bad those kids are because, boy, kids can ruin a movie like crazy. Bring them on. I mean, there were a couple that were really good. I don't want uh, I mean, the one that I will say was the best was uh, Madeline McGraw, who is um, the, the daughter of the, uh, I mean, inexplicable alcoholic in the film <laughs> uh, played by Jeremy that, Davies. That, that is one thing that was a little broad. It's like there's an alcoholic dad character and like it just doesn't feel earned that he's as like alcoholic and just awful as he is. No. Uh, and, and the, the interactions that Madeline McGraw has with him uh, as the daughter are, there's a couple of like really intense scenes that, that she does really well at, but it's still, it just felt like a, yeah. I mean, just the whole thing was just being slept walked through, but I, I, I certainly, I'm, I'm more than happy to move along. We can. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's go on to the big CGI fest that's coming this week. Well, hang on. What did, uh, what, what did Jared see over the weekend? Did you see anything? Nothing. He saw well, the nothing. fair. Yeah, I I was at the fair for a while, and I didn't see anything uh, new since the last time we talked. Because I think I, I saw Prey. We talked about that last time. I don't remember if I mentioned last week or not on the podcast that I saw Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. I and? think I, I might have. Yeah, it was it was a nice it was a nice slight breezy uh, frothy uh, kind of movie, as uh, as Chris would say, right down the middle. Not a great movie, not not total crap, just right in that nice little sweet spot in between. This week we've got Beast coming. That's our big thing. You're really stretching uh, big and thing, maybe, to cover that film. I think, I don't, have, no. have you seen it, Bruce? No, I. it's one of those ones I think they want to keep it as close to the opening date as possible. I wonder I why. That's a, I wonder that's why. A, that's, that's... A, that's a good sign. No, like when, when you have a really good product, you hold tight to it for as long as you can and then you release it out into the world unsuspectingly yeah this ain't book of mormon this is uh <laughs> this isn't one of those things where you want to keep the secrets i think it's all out there right on the screen i'm excited for this yeah right a dad and his kids in a in a jeep trying to avoid a lion is it yeah, it's it's Cujo, but with a lion, and they're in a game reserve in in South Africa, basically. Normally, when I'm editing the show, I will trim out longer pauses. 
And the one directly after Jared saying, I'm looking forward to it is go like, I'm just going to leave that one in. It's just going to, it it's just going to be, no, I am. I, I'm going to go see this when it comes out. I, you don't have to twist my arm too much to get me to see a scary animal movie. And you know, also I, I just want action movies with like a really simple premise and I want them in a theater. And if they're bad, who cares? You know, I still got to see what it would look like to watch Idris Elba fight a lion. And that's, that's good enough for me. You know, it seems like he gets in a, gets in a fist fight with the lion at one point. That's all I need. You know, if you have one good scene, good enough. Yeah. I never got cast in life a pie. So I'll try this. This is good. <laughs> Dead ringer for Idris Elba there. Wasn't that my good Idris? Yeah, that was yeah. my good Idris. Oh, gosh. But you know, really, I mean, isn't it kind of like that in a way? And really, the answer to all of this is don't go on those trips. If you don't want to be mauled by a lion, don't go on the lion trip. I think it's pretty easy to solve. I think I might wait to see this one as a an Idris Elba double feature and wait a couple of weeks and go see it either before or after seeing uh, the new George Miller movie, 3000 years of longing with him and Tilda Swinton, where he plays a genie. <laughs> Any wish is possible. Right. Speaking of, can I just kind of veer if I may beast takes a lot of special effects work because they're not going to just get, you know, old Clarence, the cross-eyed lion to jump out and kind of wrestle with, with Idris when they need him to, even though that's the way they used to do it. They'd say, let's get one of those toothless lions over here. And you kind of wrestle around with them, Idris, and we should be able to get a little something there and it'll look good. I'll put a little soundtrack underneath it. Perfect film. People love it. Well, now they can't do that because actors have rules. So the, a lot of it's CGI. Well, now another CGI thing that starts on Friday is She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. It's a lot of CGI. Thursday, all the Disney shows were on Wednesdays. And then I think like a few weeks ago, they announced they were pushing it back to Thursday. Well, it's uh, I've seen four episodes and I got to watch how much I tell you because the reviews are embargoed until the until Friday. But it's a comedy, oddly enough, which I don't think is really something they've leaned into much with the Marvel Universe. WandaVision kind of started out as a comedy, but this is just. This is like something that would be on ABC in 1979. That's how comedy oriented it is. And it's kind of, you know, it's the, now the, here I'm kind of slipping over. It's the best use they've had of the Hulk in all the time that Mark Ruffalo has played the part. Cause I've That's never seen you know, it much. No, but I've never liked him as this. And I've never liked the character. I've never liked the CGI that they've used with him. It all makes no sense because it doesn't look real. It looks like a cartoon character walking around with all these other ones. And I think that they really don't know what to do with him. But here he does have a purpose because he's kind of like the Yoda-ish mentor to the She-Hulk and teaching her the things she needs to know about what it's like since they're the only two. And I'm sure you've seen this line where he says spandex is your friend. And that explains a lot because if she were ripping out clothes every two minutes, you know, hulking out, it'd be like, what is this? And then she represents uh, superhumans in her law firm. And there's an expectation level there that she's going to bring in all this traffic. But it is, it's, it's kind of Ally McBeal-ish in its attorney bit. But then there's this kind of fun 
goofball thing that comes with with the hulking. To set a little bit more of a table for this, the um, Jessica Walters is Bruce Banner's is it cousin, mm-hmm. and she has to get a blood transfusion after like a car wreck or some other kind of accident. I can't remember what it is in the. It's like the a show. jeep accident that they're in, and yep. And so she gets a blood transfusion from Bruce Banner because it's the same type or something like that. And then the gamma irradiated blood ends up triggering something in her to where she also is able to be hulked out. But unlike the Hulk in the movies and in the comic books, she's able to turn it off and on at will. And like, there's, there's no like struggle of that anger uh, so much. And then she's a lawyer and so then it is her you get sort of like a not not monster of the week but like uh you know law and order level something where every week or every episode she's gonna have to defend someone and it's going to be tangentially related to the tangentially related to marvel Marvel cinematic universe yeah exactly like in the comics there's a really fun issue where she has to defend Spider-Man in a in a libel suit <laughs> against J. Jonah Jameson at the Daily Bugle. They have a lot of fun with it. And in the comics, she also is up there. Like it's pretty much her and Deadpool are the only real characters that break the fourth wall regularly to speak directly to the audience. So th- there'll be a lot of fun kind of winky stuff like that, I'm sure. Yeah. And it's uh, Tatiana Maslany plays. She plays Jennifer. Slash She-Hulk. Um, Shulky, yeah. as, as other folks call her. And she's got a whole herd of people who play the the law firm. Um, so there really is that sitcommy thing that goes on with that. But then, and then you'll see the Hulk come back every so once in a while to kind of advise her about things. And it, it worked. I I didn't feel like oh god now I got to look at another one. It they you kind of it's like candy. You just start eating it, and once once you buy in. You're at the end of the bag. I um, this this does seem like a a fun uh, pitch and and premise and everything like that. I I do just every time now have to keep wondering with all of this stuff is like what is bottoming out gonna look like? Like what's gonna be the property that fully signals they're they're out of ideas now and this is this is all they've got and it's downhill from here. I don't I don't think that they're ever gonna run out of ideas. Yeah, they are. There's never going to be a Batgirl situation for for Marvel. I don't think so. I think it's it's not going to be running out of ideas at all because I mean they've got what is it, you know, almost 70 whatever years of stories to pull from and you know, amalgamate into each other. Like the the whole Infinity War saga was a a mixture of like three or four major plot lines that each one happened, you know, maybe even in between reboots of the entire Marvel comic book universe. And the coming Secret Wars thing, it's like there's like three or four different ways that you could interpret that. And I'm sure they're just going to grab little bits from each one to thread these multiple needles. But I don't think they're ever going to run out of ideas. I think it's more going to be interest in maintaining the momentum behind the brand. And like, I mean, this most recent wave or chapter or whatever uh, saga, they've bumped into a lot of questions of quality control and the cgi is just really taking a big hit and i know bruce since you've seen four of of the episodes i mean i don't know if that would be over the line 
as far as the embargo goes, but I mean, like thumbs up, thumbs down, like sometimes it works, sometimes it didn't. What do you, what do you think? I bought the idea. I mean, like she's little, right? And then she grows to six, seven. I bought it. It seemed okay. Um, I don't think they're going to do a lot of that stuff. Like you see where practically it's a, an animated film. I think it's basically they do the motion capture with the people and then it's kind of drawn around them. And they don't put him in those situations where she would be hulked out all the time. So I, I, it can work. It can work. What I don't like about the Marvel universe, or at least the expectations, people think that there should always be a connection. I like things that have absolutely nothing to do with the rest of them. They can all be superheroes and live in a superhero world and have superhero friends. But they all don't have to be part of a darker plot where we got to find five stones and put them in a ring or whatever. You know, enough is enough. In another vein, I saw the first episodes of the new Lord of the Rings. We can tease that because that'll be next week, I think. And I won't tell you how it shakes down, but the special effects there are incredible incredible if you thought lord of the rings the movie had high-end special effects wait till you see this thing i had to stand right up to the screen to look at it to see really how how finite that special effects stuff is it's amazing that says nothing i can't talk about anything else but just know that their special effects are top drawer if that doesn't win next year i don't know what wins anything how do you feel about that versus the new Game of Thrones. I have it. I haven't seen it yet, but that's, I think, another contender. House of the Dragon. It's from Ryan J. Condal and uh, Miguel Sapochnik. M Miguel Sapochnik was behind a whole bunch of the most famous episodes of Game of Thrones. Uh, so even though Benioff and Weiss are not involved in any way, shape, or form, you still have that through line that connects. But this is a prequel going back uh, generations, multiple, multiple generations. And it's based on the 2018 novel that Martin put out called Fire and Blood. And I mean, there's talk about this show as it progresses, becoming almost just an anthology show, telling these stories all the way throughout. They have multiple actors that are playing the same character. So we're going to be jumping around on timelines, it seems like. I well, you know me with no. I don't like <laughs> I don't like these shows where you've got to know, like really, even the names, trying to figure out like, are you an elf? Are you a what? And where are you living in that big old map? Because I need the map to refer to. There are too many kinds of those things that I think all of these shows that are set in worlds that we don't know. Reliant. I think that was if we go back to the that really the one that that squeezed all this stuff with Star Wars because you were dropped into Star Wars without knowing a, a single thing. And it was like episode four or something of the trilogy that they were trying to tell. That was a very clever move. The bad move about it is though, other ones don't do the plotting that Star Wars did. So they don't fill you in. You have to be a nerd. You have to be a nerd who knows all of the stuff about this before you can understand what they're trying to discuss. And I think you really do need to guide us through like the original Star Wars did. I think we've talked about this before too, that like 
something like the original run of the three Star Wars movies can't really happen again either because as much help as George Lucas had, at the end of the day, it was still his like vision overriding everything. Which, versus like all these shows now, because of how much money they cost, like Lord of the Rings has cost hundreds of millions of dollars already. Like you have to do so much more of this by committee. And so it's going to be harder sometimes to have a, a grand unifying kind of thing. Well, and with the Star Wars now where Star Wars is gone, they're slipping in episodes that somehow, where does this fit? And should I know that this goes here? And, you know, it's like, where's the book? I, I think I need a book to figure this out. And that's that's that new one that they've got coming out that appears at the same before Rogue One, but it's after this. Yeah. And it's like, should I have to know all that? Should I not just be able to enjoy what they're unfolding? Well, I mean, one of the nice things about Rogue One was that even if you knew how it was going to end, you didn't need any other preamble to it. And so to even go one step earlier than that, there's that much less of a need for a preamble. I'm a big fan of Rogue One. I feel like that was a uh, a movie that was a lot of fun. Me too. And the fact that that's coming back into theaters for a little while as a, a lead-in to Andor... I'm excited for it, but again, I'm, I, I get that I am the fan who knows, you know, Fortalam and Zuckus and the, you know, that the, the band at Jabba's palace, the name of the, the genre of music. What causes this? You guys know better than I do. Is it just people with no, nothing to do on their, in their day? And so as a result, they're creating these things. Do you watch it that many times that you want to know all that little minutia? I don't know that I do. Everybody has a thing, you know? Everybody has a thing. I only watched, like, the final season of Game of Thrones. I didn't watch any of the rest of it. Are you excited for for this prequel? And, like, what was your level of engagement with the show when it was running? My level of engagement with the show was leading into the last season, I got caught up. Like, I watched all of the seasons. Lead, I binged pretty intensely for, like, a month or two getting up to speed for that final season. It's a show that has a lot of problems, mainly just the fact that it's, you know, the source material is unfinished. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a problem. You know, so, and all the pressure and, I mean, the financial necessity of it and Benioff and Weiss wanting to go off and do, you know, a dozen other things that any number of other companies are throwing, you know, dump trucks full of money at them. Including to, a, a Star Wars series that never happened. Yeah, that's all scrapped. Yep. So um, I'm intrigued with it. The The thing that I liked about Game of Thrones, I'm assuming I haven't read the books, so I'm not that aware of the, the details that go into it. But I mean, the show really sucked you in to all of the, the palace intrigue of everything. And you were able to juggle all these different characters because they were written so well and they were cast so well. And the you know keeping the the plots and the subplots and the sub subplots and all that stuff to like all of that stuff at least for the first you know three or four seasons it wasn't it didn't feel like homework it felt very natural effortless and if house of the dragon which is going to be i think from my understanding it's going to be a lot more of the the same uh you know backstabbing folks you know going full mask off type stuff then if they can get it to be that effortless in the way that people are connecting to it, then I, I'm, I'm excited. 
we've talked about this stuff. I'm over the idea, like, any kind of media being bad is not going to hurt my feelings, ever. <laughs> so, um, if it's not great, I will be really interested, but I will also be really interested because they already went through that. They wrote, pitched, cast, filmed an entire pilot for another Game of Thrones related show and then yep. scrapped it. They were like, this with isn't Na good uh, enough. With Naomi Watts. Yeah. Yep. So pressure's on. A, for this to be a success, but also you have to have faith that they they aren't going to put out a product that they know is embarrassing, which this would be. <laughs> so well, at the risk of sounding like a therapist here, what would be different from this and the Yellowstone kind of world? I mean, isn't it the same thing except the costumes and the time period and whatever? Aren't they doing the same kinds of things? It's just the trappings, right? And in terms of moving back and further back in time and everything, you yeah. mean? So do people get hung up on the fact that, oh my God, it's dragons or it's, oh, they're wearing a costume and they're speaking with British accents. I can't figure this out. Is that what the stumbling block is for other people to get into it? I mean, I put it off for a long time just because I was so aware of the density of it, that it was going to be multiple plots, multiple characters, all of which I had faith before I started that I was going to get invested in and, you know, get sucked up in. But I mean, it was a big wedge of cheese, you know, like a very, a very dense uh, age smoked cheddar, maybe. There's a reason too that if you know you pluck the average person off the street and you ask them to name like a, a work of like fantasy type literature or movie making, they would be able to name Lord of the Rings and they'd be able to name Game of Thrones and that would about be it. And part of that is because of how dense and you know there's so many more fantasy works than that. You could rattle off some all day long, but so many of these are so dense and there is a little bit of a, a high demand trying to get into things. There's a high learning curve. And some people don't necessarily want that, but you know, with Lord of the Rings or with Game of Thrones, if you are able to to overcome that, you know, there's a lot to be rewarded by. You know, I think what what they have done as a game changer is killed people off. Um, so often, when you're watching shows like this, you well, the hero isn't going to die. That's not going to happen, and they'd kill him right away. And so there was that kind of element of well, you better watch or else you might get skunked here in terms of who you're, you know, you're, you're bearing down on or who you really are all in for. And I think that's, that's a good change in serialized television is kill them off. Why not get rid of some of those characters? You know, and I, I know we saw that with big sky on network television. It started with like, Oh my God, Ryan Phillippe is the star of this show. We're all excited. Ryan Phillippe is He's going to be on a TV series. Isn't that wonderful? He was dead by the second episode. So that was a great kind of turn for them. But then they didn't kind of carry it out. And I don't even know if the show is still on the air. But that's what that kind of premium TV gives us is the um, excitement of you never know what's going to happen. Bring on the dragon. Well, I think, I mean, we're kind of at a point in the summer where I mean, there, there aren't any more big blockbusters that are coming out. It seems like with, and I don't know how purposeful it is on the part of the 
you know, movie studios moving dates around, but I mean, this Game of Thrones thing is going to be, you know, the first water cooler type show of the year of, you know, maybe since Game of Thrones ended more or less, uh, other than another show, which we'll get to in just a second, but, um, and then Lord of the Rings is, you know, hot on the heels of that. So, I mean, yeah, those are the other ones. And then the show that I was talking about is one that I want to, I want to clear some space. I don't know. Jared, are you, are you caught up on, on Better the, Call Saul? No, shamefully I am not as much of a professed fan uh, as I am, but yeah, the finale was um, last night and from some of the uh, the friends of mine who actually were caught up and watched it, they stuck the landing. And so twice now, um, you know, Vince Gilligan and his crew of uh, people in uh, Albuquerque have managed to deliver a near perfect show that has a uh, an ending that uh, fans are, are more than happy with and that it makes sense for the the stories that they're telling. So I mean, you know, I'll have to watch it for myself, but that in and of itself is an impressive feat to manage because, you know, Game of Thrones did not stick the landing. Um as good as some of the moments in that show were. Didn't have a great uh send off. There are plenty of shows that had very shaky uh finales and uh that's been the case with Saul or with uh, Breaking Bad. Even, you know, as, as much love as uh, Better Call Saul has gotten, especially in the later half of its run, which is something that uh, kind of mirrored Breaking Bad, where people slowly caught up to that one, too. I, I, I don't think uh, it counts as like a water cooler show in the same type of way. Like, the numbers have never been like gangbusters for, for Better Call Saul. You know, it's not one you necessarily hear people chatting about all the time, except if you're online and kind of looking for people chatting about it it never quite had the same level of like permeation that uh breaking bad did which which is unfortunate but understandable now because people have a million different things they can watch that are all varying degrees of uh quality with so many prequels out there between better call saul winding down and game of thrones heating up lord of the rings heating up with prequels on the mind at first, I thought we should do a rundown of the best prequels, and then I started looking at them, and I don't know if there are any great prequels. Well, there's one. In the movies, it's Godfather Part Two, But that's, it, that's a prequel? Only half of it's a prequel. Well, it talks about how he set the whole thing up, and then it's been cut so many times, it's kind of played that way. It is a prequel in that it has, it goes back in time, but the whole movie isn't a prequel. And this is one of the things I was thinking of. I know that Temple of Doom is technically a prequel in that it takes place before Raiders of the Lost Ark chronologically, but that whole franchise, it seems like it's more just episodes than it is necessarily prequels. I think in the sense of like Rogue One, I think of as being a prequel. That's good. But look at the bust that they created before the original Star Wars, all those kind of, those are just dreadful. Yeah, but I'm not even going to, I don't want to say I'm not going to dignify them because they seem to be having some kind of a resurgence as people who were, or I mean, that are adults now, probably like a few years younger than you, Jared, is like the, the kids that were in that age group that were targeted by, you know, Jake Lloyd in <laughs> episode one and 
by the time the third one of those came out, I was in like high school, and so I had enough of awareness to know that this this is crap. This is not actually a good movie. And so like like some of those those prequels, especially because of how bad the the most recent sequels turned out, I feel like some of those prequels have gotten a little more love over time now. And I am not one of those people that's been willing to give them more love. They're a train wreck. <laughs> so like an example that I can give. A movie that is not good at all that I have a tremendous place in my heart for simply because I was seven or eight when it came out is Hook. (laughs) You know, I mean, just a, I mean, a dubious film, if ever there was one, but there's a a generation coming up where the prequels are their Hook. (laughs) Yeah, well, people, they'll go crazy over something that, is out and you go, this is kind of marginal, but it hits at the right time. And there is that sweet spot when you're probably around anywhere from seven to 11, when you have this kind of longing to get whatever toys or merchandise or whatever it might be related to the movie, no matter how bad it could be. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good way to find out how old somebody is. What movie did you really like as a kid? What was the and first go, CD oh. that you bought? <laughs> yeah. What's a CD? <laughs> Bruce, are you going to be able to talk about your Betamax collection? Is that the... <laughs> I did. I did have a Betamax. What do you mean? Uh-oh. You know what? When that time came, I, it was, do you go VHS? Or you go Betamax? And everybody said, Betamax, better quality. You really want that. I bought into that thing so far, and it sits there. I have it at home as an antique to remember of what was but I don't know that I could ever play anything. And it's probably so grainy that you wouldn't be able to see who was on the film anyway. Yeah. But I did. I, I was an early adapter. Did you know they kept making Betamax recorders until like 2002. That somehow kept up for a long while, even after it was clear that it had lost out. So yeah, there, there really aren't that many great prequels instead of us rounding up good ones. Cause it's a short, short list. Even shorter for TV. Yes. Yeah. Much shorter for TV. Not that, I mean, Young Sheldon is still one of the, you know, top rated, you know, most viewed shows, but I'm... And you've never seen it. But no, I've never seen it. And uh, so I figured that we would go through and, and pick some of the best potential ones. Shows that, or, or characters from shows that would really benefit from the prequel treatment or things that would just, I mean, I, I would be incredibly animated by by some of the ones that are on my list i know so bruce you know what i racked my brain with this and i asked friends what would you like to see a prequel to and it was a dry well i can tell you it is a dry well but i did come up with one that i would like to see and that's a prequel to ozark because i want to know more about julia garner's character ruth and how that whole kind of drug thing got started in the ozarks I think that would be a great series and the character would be a, a super one for somebody to play, especially with all those kind of nutty people that were there that they've killed off in the years since. So I think there would be a great Ozark prequel. This is going to be, I guess, just a, a series of pitches related to Julia Garner in some way, because uh, my first one uh, I had was a, a prequel for the Americans and uh, a show that at this point is kind of criminally underappreciated i feel like it was underappreciated while it was on and then i feel like it's become even more slept on since it left but um 
like throughout the show, you get a few different glimpses of what life was like for Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese's characters before they came to America as uh, Russian spies. But I think there still could be a whole lot more material you could mine there. But the age aspect would be a little bit difficult to work around because uh, Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese are in their late 40s. So that might be a little difficult. But I wouldn't mind them going back to that well because the emotional content of like the scenes that are set in the past on that show are pretty bleak but they also pack a major wall up and it's something i would like to spend some time in so that that was one of the first ones that really came to mind for me was a prequel to the americans where we get them back in in the soviet union kind of training and everything that's a good one the more and more i thought about this a lot of it was the the idea of going back to a certain time because we're we're at a place now where if you take an adult character on a show that has lasted long enough for it to be for it to have made a mark in pop culture then you're gonna be going back to the 90s at the latest most likely to go back a ways and the the one that goes back the furthest in time uh that i had deadwood i i really want to see a a series with calamity jane and wild bill hickok that goes all the way back to all of their you know the crazy adventures that they had way back when because i the, the calamity jane character from deadwood was just so fantastic and the the wild bill hickok uh, as played by david carradine i can't remember how many episodes into the first season it is that he gets shot and that ends up being a huge part of the the first season arc but he's taken so soon and i i would love to just get more out of that wild west bill hickok so yeah that's that's my first that's a really good one and that it it's unfortunate that a lot of that stuff with deadwood would be hard to pull off now considering david uh milch but yeah there's a lot that could still be mined from deadwood if someone did it with a lot of care and careful consideration because so many of those characters are like so rich and even though it only lasted for a couple seasons, that was a show that definitely really had the feeling of like, you could follow around any one of those characters for like an entire season and you would be totally gripped by it, no matter who it was. Yep. I mean, what was the town like when it was even more <laughs> loose? You know, yeah. when, when, when Swearingen was laying the foundation for the bar, you know, like what was the, what was that like? And who, who was he? And uh, yeah, there's, there's so much room for that. Bruce. There are too many series out there today that the idea that you would want more of something. I mean, where is that Niles and Frazier thing that was supposed to be coming? Where is that? And when they're now doing eight episode series, are they really a series? You know, whatever happened to that kid on Happy Days that they got rid of? There was a son there that disappeared after the first year. Chuck. Wouldn't he be a fun one to lean into and figure out what happened to his path? But, you know, there, there's so much of that stuff that they jumped the shark. Literally, they were the ones who did it that you think, I think I've seen everything with most of these series, if they were anything that people watched. And so and that's popular ones. I'm sure that there were a lot of those, you know, there probably had been things on the CW, the WB, the Paramount Network, all those things that maybe somebody would watch. I don't know. We need a reboot of uh, some of those WB shows from the late 90s, the Desmond Pfeiffer, the <laughs> Abraham Lincoln's. Do you remember, do you remember this this show? <laughs> Desmond Pfeiffer. Oh, sorry. Desmond Pfeiffer, Abraham Lincoln's butler. <laughs> 
Yeah, there were a lot of those that were, and I remember once. Homeboys in space. <laughs> we had uh, called Savannah. Do you remember Savannah? I do not. And I was at the introduction of the series and they would walk down a step, a staircase like it was Gone with the Wind. And you go, Gone with the Wind? Boy, you're really reaching here for a, a parallel. This is a bad series on the WB. You know? for, for anybody that is not aware, uh, Savannah was a uh, soap opera that was on for like a year in the, the late 90s. Starring Miss Jamie Lunar. Mm -hmm. So if you if you really want more on that, we surely can give it to you. There we no. go. No. Jared, you got you got a few more? I do. Um, another one I, um, I had, um, and this one is one where there's already been seasons that have kind of moved forward and backward in time, and that's Fargo. Um, like a staple of the show is sort of playing with time. And I love how much the show plays around with time in different eras. I would like to see uh, Noah Hawley and all the, the crew wind the clocks like all the way back to like the settlement of that land where so much of, of Fargo takes place, because I think there would be plenty of like strangeness and, and like existentialism that you could dig out of that. And there's also more than enough Coen Brothers stuff that you can pull from that because they, they've certainly done a couple Westerns. Yeah. Bruce, when you were talking about Savannah, one of the ideas that I had that would be a lot more soapy in its structure would be from Veronica Mars. If you followed the dad all the way back to where it's him as a private eye coming up in his 20s. I, I did a little bit of the, you know, back of the envelope math with actors ages and uh, you know, stuff like that. And so he would have been a dad in his early twenties. I don't remember all of the details about the, the mom slash wife, but I know that she had a lot of ups and downs. And so you got that, you got raising the kid, you got the, you know, mystery of the week theme that you could throw in there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like it could have a Columbo vibe. You know, that when they do things like that, they change the name of it and pretend like it has nothing to do with it. So they're not accused of ripping off something. Oh, that's interesting that you, I've never seen that show. They go, no, oh, it reminds you of, of Veronica Mars? Really? I, I'm surprised. I have never seen that show. Could you do a prequel to Twin Peaks? I feel like if anybody could figure out a way to do it, even with the ages of like the actors that are still around, and of course a number of them have passed away, like I'm sure David Lynch could figure out a way to do it that would somehow make sense. But that would be that would be an uphill climb for something like that. That's one where I don't want it to be in Twin Peaks. Like I want it to be because he was he was an FBI agent, right? Agent Cooper. You know, he's talking to Diane on the tape. They got a rapport. They got to have cases like other cases that they've that he's worked in the past. Like, let's, you know, follow those cases. Let's have it set up in St. Louis or, you know, Lubbock, Texas. Or, I, I don't know. You could, you know, just do a, a younger version of that uh, set in, you know, some other place that's equally strange. <laughs> and he brings his his weird application of the I Ching to solving crimes and <laughs> dream interpretations. Jared? Well, another one, again, I, I don't necessarily know how this would work in terms of uh, casting or ages or anything like that. And this is one that uh, got bounced off the air before its time. But I would like to see a prequel like going further back uh, with something with Hannibal. And obviously there were there were movies that did that um, with like some of the, the Hannibal Lecter films. But I, I would like to see the show go further back in time and like maybe do a more elevated version of what those like 
super prequel movies did where you get Hannibal as like a, a kid even, like a teenager. Well, because that's in one of the later movies, which was not a very good movie. I think that was Hannibal Rising, if I remember right. And the, the movie itself was not very good, but a more serious like updating of that as like a prequel to the Hannibal show with Mads Mikkelsen could actually be pretty good. Young Sheldon seems like it's kind of taken the the format and I keep just wanting to be young Hannibal and that's the that's the vibe and the the one that I came up with that would be along that same trajectory that I think could be really great again very much on casting and whatever but I I love the you know honeymooners style old sitcoms and the one that I think would be really great is everybody loves Raymond if you do a young Raymond just because Marie and Frank Barone, uh, Doris Roberts and Peter Boyle on the show. I mean, those parents are just absolutely fantastic. And the idea of just kind of going back to Long Island in the, you know, late sixties, early seventies to set that whole thing and, you know, have them deal with all of their family squabbles and the made me think of like when I was kicking around in my head, it made me think of Malcolm in the middle, but it'd just be the two. There wouldn't be a, it'd just be, you know, Brad Garrett and uh, Raymond's character. Did you have any more Jared? This would be even a little more half baked, but um, <laughs> there, there have been moments in the show where they've also gone back in time with, uh, with this character. And they, they clearly didn't care about age at all because they just intentionally put him in a bad wig to quote unquote, make him look younger. And that would be, some kind of a prequel or maybe even just a season that's like a prequel with it's always sunny in Philadelphia where it's just solely uh, Danny DeVito's Frank Reynolds character, which I think would be a delight because he's the most debased and debauched one of them anyway. And only getting his perspective for an entire season or for an entire short run of like a limited series would be an absolute delight. How did you guys like wet hot summer when they did the old people kind of pretending to be themselves again? It was fantastic. I, I, I think that's a really funny idea when you just acknowledge how ridiculous it is that you're having this like 40 year old play a 20 something or whatever. Yeah. Do you think that could last for more than a year? Well, with, with, with the what had summer stuff, what had American summer stuff? I mean, that that worked out perfectly just because you had the prequel and the sequel. And so and that was it. Like it was just the, you know, six or eight episodes on either side. And you just jam as many jokes as you possibly can in there. And then you just you walk away because. You know, Netflix gave you uh, a stupid amount of money just to goof off with your pals for six months. Hey, let's do that. I'm there. Yeah, we got time. So what else was on your list, Chris? You must have had more. I did. Yeah, I, I went and I went and I went. The doing a prequel to The Wire is really tough. But going back to Lester Freeman, following him into like 70s era Baltimore as a homicide cop and then following the money that put him on, you know, the pawn shop detail behind the desk. You've got the, you know, Vietnam vet aspect, uh, like that whole story is right there. He would probably be one of the best characters to do that with. He's one of the most interesting of any of the, the police characters on the show. And he's very smart and like very good at what he does. So like going backward in time with him when he was presumably even better at what he did would be a, would be a good move. Have this running, running little joke of like him, like almost, but not quite, you know, starting to, to work on, you know, doll furniture, <laughs> like, it's like kind of getting into it. So yeah, Lester Freeman from The Wire. Let me throw one in before you go on to your next yes, one. Yes, please. The morning show. It would be interesting to see how those people 
kind of got their start in the business where they got to the morning show. Mm. Um, and I think that might have been, you know, where you see them in a small market or whatever they were doing or how ambitious they might have been could be interesting if they got them to the point where they are now. But then I don't know where this is going after the changes in the last season. That makes me think of broadcast news. Yeah. But bumped up 20 years. And then the, the other one that I think would just be really great is from Friday Night Lights. The character of Buddy Garrity ah. would be someone that I'd like to see go all the way back. Late 70s, early 80s, he would have been playing football in Texas. And his life follows such a stereotypical arc. He's a great character. You can kind of explore a lot of the, I mean, to, to get real heavy handed, it's the, you know, American tragedy <laughs> of, you know, of sports and yeah. If I remember right on the show, he, he was one of the ones that he used to play quarterback for the team back in the day, right? And then he's kind of just like still coasting on that uh, that former glory from like 20 years ago. I mean, he's got the stereotypical car lot. Yeah. The used car lot. Like that's the, I mean, it's, it's, he's such a cliche, but you can get in there and find some depth and he's just a great character. Like how, how aware was he over the course of that entire coming of age from all of the the college and high school football success up to him realizing that the dream was dead and coming to terms with that anyway so those are the those are the ones that i got did you get your any additional inspiration bruce or no but i wonder if listeners could tell us what they think i think that would be a great idea i would love to hear what are prequels that you want to see and there can't be any more in star trek come on yeah prequel something good prequel something good freebie is is a service that i I i've never heard of why don't you tell me about freebie freebie is amazon's free tv yeah that's literally all i know about it it has ads that's what you get it also has original content original shows right it does in fact it has a new show that's starting this friday it's called sprung it's from greg garcia who you may remember my name is earl or Raising Hope. Great show. Raising Hope. Do you remember that one? And um, he was actually looking for a show for Garrett Dillahunt to do because he liked working with Garrett. They were together on Raising Hope. And he said, let me just think about it and I'll see what I can come up with. Well, the pandemic happened and he thought it might be interesting to take the premise of people being released from prison. Are you following me? Mm -hmm. Um, And then putting them out into the world, but the world has COVID. How do you mess with this and what do you do? And so he thought, well, let's let's try this and see what I can do. He wrote a part for Garrett. And then there's a female kind of counterpart with him. Her name is Barb. And they had cast somebody else, but for some reason it didn't work out. And he was like days before shooting. And he cast the net to uh, Martha Plimpton, who played Gary Dillahunt's wife in Raising Hope. So they're back together again. And uh, we got a chance to talk to them about how this all worked out and what it means for them. So before we throw to that interview, I will let Jared take us out and then we'll we'll go to that interview. We started on a real dour note of just uh, harsh, harsh screeds against uh, things we've recently watched. 
So I'm going to keep it uh, nice and light uh, this week and just say, you know, if you want to hang out at home, you can uh, sit on your couch and you can uh, stream something good from uh, from Pluto or Freebie or Canopy or Tubi or Hulu or Prime or any of those other ones. You can do that or you can go to the local Cineplex and you can uh, screen something good there. Thank you for that. We will go to the interview with uh, Martha Plimpton and Garrett Dillahunt of Sprung. How are you Hi, today? Bruce. What was the reunion like for the two of you? Did you say, oh, we must work together again? It must happen. Yeah, kind of, at least for me. Uh, you know, I've always, I'll, I'll always work with Martha. I'll work with Martha anywhere. But we were, I was really happy that we got to do something so completely different, you know? Mm-hmm. It was unexpected, but very cool. I was, um, you know, I, I had heard that that Garrett and Greg were going to be doing this new show and i had i was working on another show at the time um and i was kind of pissed off i was kind of resentful i kind of wanted to be i mean i, was I didn't like, get called come on like what do you mean what do you mean i'm not what it, it even said in the script a martha plimpton type <laughs> <laughs> um whatever um, that is yeah right well but luckily, luckily, you know, for, for good or ill, my my other show didn't go. It all ended up working out. And, you know, I, I was absolutely thrilled because even though the show is completely different and not at all the same, you know, kind of plot or story or characters that that ours, our others were, um, I just was happy to kind of be in a strange way going home and working with my friends and you know, with people I love. Is there a shorthand that you have now because you have all worked together? Definitely, I think, you know, and it wasn't just us, you know, Chad Persons, our DP, um, the head of props, Byron, um, one of the ADs, I think, you know, Greg really fosters these kinds of relationships with people that, it's it just a, t- a testament to the kind of guy he is. Everybody wants to work with him again. It's just like, it's hard enough to get a show made or a film made. Why not do it with people you love and trust? And it, it just makes things so much easier. And, uh, you know, that's a massive outlay of energy from Greg, but he really uh, sets the tone. It trickles down from the top and it's a wonderful place to work. You know, Martha, yeah, and please, I hope you take this as the real compliment that I mean it in. Uh, I noticed a little Cloris Leachman in you. Did you know? <laughs> Were you, were you channeling her in some way? You know, I, you know what? I'm going to let the audience decide. I, I will tell you that I, I had very little time to come up with my vision or my, my conception of this person. I think I had about um, three days. And my initial inspiration was actually something completely different. It was um, just a physical idea that I wanted to go with, which is this this Disney villain, villainous, which I kind of want to let the audience figure out which one. Like, I don't want to say which one it was. But um, so many people, or a few people, have, have said that they see cl- a little bit of chorus in this a woman. And you chorus. know what? And you know what? I, that actually I find very touching. And oh, that actually makes me you. very, yeah. Yeah, and there's also a little Amy Sedaris in there. I mean, I can give you a whole bunch of little 
nuances in you did a lot in three days <laughs> either that or i did nothing i mean yeah, it's one no, or the other yeah it's just me either I'm i just, did a lot or i just ripped a bunch of people off <laughs> yes yeah. what am i watching on tv right now that's who i'm going to be right there that's right <laughs> you know now truly you guys have had such a great dramatic run how do you separate those two how do you create that you know my dramatic dramatic world in my comedic world, how do you separate those two? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I I don't even think about it, honestly. I, I know this is not going to be an exciting answer. I, I, I like stories. I like telling stories. Uh, I like telling the best story possible, you know, and in this situation, you know, I, I feel like I'm just trying to fulfill the writing and play the character that's in front of me. And it's 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 not really any contortions I have to go through in terms of, you know, Martha's in mass now. It's a, it's a different story, you know, and she's going to play that character. She can't help it. She's going to have intentions. She's going to have opinions as the character. She just, she's incapable of an unrealistic turn, you know, so it's, it's just how it's going to go. So I don't want to say it was easy, but it's just not something I even think about, I guess. How about you? I think it's all about well, obviously, it's all about context. I heard someone really quite brilliant say the other day that, that, that when you boil it right down, the essential difference between comedy and tragedy is that tragedy, people don't get what they want. Comedy, they get what they want in the end, right? And that's, of course, a very simplistic way of putting it. But ultimately, you end up using the same tools, right? It's all the same bag of tricks. And, and, and not bag of tricks. It's all the same techniques and skills and everything else. They're just, you know, I don't know, maybe that sounds silly, but um, I, I'm with Garrett. I mean, I just kind of, you just, you do what, what the job calls for in the context that it's called for in. And, and, you know, and sometimes it's a, you know, sometimes it's a little easier than other times, but I think usually when it's good, either way, it's really fun. You know, well, Garrett, I hated you all summer long now with crawdads. I got to tell you. And <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. But I'm, oh, you'll hate yourself. You will hate that man and what he does. But then I, I get you in this and it's like, oh, my God, he's back to where I want him to be. He's a happy person and not a not a an evil person. So, I mean, everybody can't pull it off. You guys, you really can. So please know that your ability to, to switch very quickly is a great gift, a great gift. Um, oh, thank you. How was it though, making a, a show about a pandemic during a pandemic? Well, we made it last, was it last year? Well, we, we finished last November. Yeah. So it, we, we were, we were kind of, I don't want to say on the other side of it, but we were starting to get a handle on it at least, or at least understand it a little more. And, and I really didn't want to make a show about the pandemic. I was, I was tired of seeing, you know, people in masks on TV. I was tired of, you know, being preached to about it. And I just, uh, I just liked how this was kind of a catalyst to get us going and it's present, but it's more of just a way in to meet these this bizarre family, these weirdos, you know. <laughs> well, what, well, what struck me is that I forgot about some of the things that we did back in the early days. And I love when Barb puts her hand over her mouth, like that's going to be a mask. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, right. Remember when we tried to well, do what that? about the cigarette? What about the <laughs> hole right. in the mouth through the cigarette? 
Right. I mean, it's like, what's going on here? This is too much. But there's a real kind of Robin Hood, if you will, quality to this. And I can see it going into different worlds. But I don't know, will we still continue talking about the pandemic if it's still on or does that disappear at some point? Yeah, I don't know. And uh, do we skip time? Do we come up, you know, because it's it's just a couple of years ago the story takes place, you know, it's not. I mean, after- I see Greg, he works with whatever he's got. Yeah. You know, Greg works with what interests him and, uh, you know, makes him laugh and whatever he's got to, that's the impetus for that, you know. He's so off the beam. I mean, it's like he's not like other comedy writers. It's like he creates worlds that you probably don't know. What is that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I do know he's he is interested in that, you know, that part of humanity, you know, that might not get the reality show, you know. Mm. Uh, he's interested in in those homes. He, he, he's, he, I think he said one time, he's like, I'm not interested in that mansion. He's like, I want to go look in the window of that house down the street with all the junk in the yard. You know, what goes on in that house? Mm-hmm. You know, and the kids come out, you know, laughing. Like, what what goes on in there? And he, he's never equated, you know, happiness with money or, you know, other things. Uh, I don't know. He, he, he's a rare bird and I'm, I'm fortunate that he's my friend. Do you ever say no when he asks you to do something? Like, no, I'm Why? not. Why that. would you? No, I'm not doing Why that. Why would you say no? Yeah. Fear. It's it's pretty great to have someone that I have so much faith in. You know, I, I, you, you get old and cranky in this business, you know, and you start not trusting people. Or like, what are you telling? Why would I do that? And he's not one of those people. He's, he's someone that's like, I, I might say, I don't get it. And then he'll explain it. I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. Now I get it, you know, but uh, yeah, I trust him. It's like, he's the writer version of Martha. Yeah, I got on a plane. I hadn't even read the scripts. You're still creating the character and it's all shot, right? Yeah. (laughs) Is that the way it is? Hey, you two, thank you so much. This is so much fun and it was just what I needed. So just know that you're helping me through a pandemic and when I'm stuck in the house, it's good to be sprung. That's lovely, thank you. so that was the show thank you again for listening uh thank you to bruce and jared for always being around for this fun little show that we do also thank you to garrett dillahunt and to martha plimpton for the time and the wonderful interview that they that they gave us we'll have links in the show notes to where you can find everything that you need how to contact us how to watch the stuff we talked about how to figure out freebie uh you know all that good stuff. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rating, a review, tell your friends, all that good stuff. The show is produced by the three of us. It is recorded and edited by myself, Chris Lay, and uh, we will be back next week. Get on out there and see something good. Now we're all family. We're family here. You fool. You beautiful, beautiful fool.